0: And thank you to the two professors, erudite, fascinating, really, I think, uh, giving us some very important insights. Tomorrow afternoon, very boring subject, my budget debate. Mm. And every year before the budget debate, we decide we should have a stimulating seminar on issues that are current. And so this year we decided to have this particular theme. And the reason we chose it is we've been feeling as a department that as we analyze the situation we're living at the moment, we tend to ignore the complexity. We're reducing everything to A and B. But it is far more difficult to engage with where we are uh, than the lovely letters we write about stupid pando, uh, about the lack of intellectual ability and so on, which has been some of the labeling I've had. I was just scrolling now, articles by a very famous opinion uh, piece writer. It says, what a stupid woman she is. Silly pando and so on. And this is the kind of uh, you know, writing you're getting as we live the global challenges today, and they're complex. They're not easy, Uh, they're not pleasant, Uh, and they do challenge our deepest held uh, views. We also need to really uh, accept uh, that we've lived in a world where to some degree there's been an attempt to convince us that the world is even and we all share values and principles. But the world is very, very hazardous and different. And we have different perspectives on it. My colleagues uh, who are foreign ministers are often asking me, why is South Africa abstaining? Why don't you come out in support of Ukraine? Why are you saying you are non-partisan? And I attempt to explain, and they get very upset. So I say to them, you know what? I challenge you to come and go to a South African township. Gather youths. And ask them the questions you're asking me, you're gonna get a shock. I tell them I'm actually conservative compared to some of the views that exist in my country. Because not all of us believe in this even plane that we wish to promote as the perspective of South Africa. It's a difficult world out there and the issues are complex and there's difference of opinion. And we all as ministers, as ministers of foreign affairs have to meander that complexity as best we can. I thought uh, the debate was really fascinating and I must say I enjoyed both professors. But what I thought I should try and do as part of a conclusion, I'll try not to be too long, is to try and respond to some of the questions that were posed, Professor Dim for example. You're right, Uh, we haven't concretely put forward what we wish to see as the content uh, of, of UN reform. I think we have to ask questions about the mechanisms of the United Nations. Is the Security Council constructed in the best way? Should it be the final authority? In discussions about reform, South Africa and other African countries had been positing for many years proposed reform for the General Assembly, as the UN Charter espouses, to have a larger role in decision-making than it does today. Well, then it did up to March last year, right? But we had been opposed in that view by our bigger friends. Then March 2022 happens and suddenly the General Assembly is very significant. Now this is a kind of double standard that you deal with all the time. So the minute that the opportune moment ends, the GA will go back to just being a general room and the Security Council will assume importance. There was a move away from the Security Council because you want to deny Russia the ability to use a veto. So it's a kind of pretend at reform. That's not what we would want to see. But I I agree with you, we need to be more concrete. I think we've used wrong structures in that we have a committee of 10 that represents the South in debating these issues which have been debated for many years without conclusion. At least the Azulini consensus was an attempt at concrete but we need to rethink it because we're many years down the line and we haven't won uh, uh, the, the, the way with respect to uh, support for it uh, in, in the United Nations. But my view is this year, we are beginning to see much more interest in actually discussing concretely what reform might mean. And I like the notion of a review conference. We'll try and talk to other colleagues and see whether we could use the charter as, as a route but I, I don't know whether we'll get the kind of support that we need, but we'll, we'll make an attempt at it. I think it would also be great if civil society were to use ECOSOC to similarly call for such a, uh, an approach uh, to, to be considered. But you're absolutely correct that we've not quite done uh, what we should. And I should say, even some of our own partners in BRICS are not supportive of the kind of reform we espouse and we fully alert to this as well. We also have to be more coherent as Africa because we tend to be influenced by those powers that have strong relations with us as individual regions or countries. And I think we need to shape an African perspective that is shared by all of us and that we all communicate on the various platforms uh, on which we would have an opportunity. Um, I certainly believe uh, Ukraine uh, does have agency and that we should be concerned about what is happening to the people of Ukraine. I I have said this many times, that the reason we abhor war and conflict is we know the suffering it brings. And this is why, as South Africa, we've said, if we have an opportunity to play a role in a process of peace and negotiations, we're gonna be the first to take up that opportunity. And we continue to say that, and our president is speaking to both President Putin and President Zelensky, and we're trying to see if a space (coughs) might open up for greater engagement. Um, I think on the matter of uh, economic sanctions, what we don't support I think it was Nicola who raised this. What we don't support are unilateral sanctions. And what they do is they have secondary effects that the the country that opposes, imposes, unilateral sanctions doesn't think about. So today, for example, you have uh, inability to use the SWIFT system for transfer of funds. What does that do? It means we've got to carry cash somehow to pay our officials in Moscow. Otherwise, they'll starve because we can't use the normal systems that we use. So many countries suffer this, or our exporters who are exporting can no longer purchase insurance because there are all sorts of unilateral sanctions on insurers and so on. So when you impose unilaterally, you don't think about the effect that occurs as a secondary effect of sanctions. Think of Zimbabwe and South Africa and economic refugees to this country. So we really believe that we need to use the root of the United Nations, and that's what we call for as South Africa. When did apartheid begin to realize that it would have, consider, it would have to consider coming to an end as the apartheid state? It was when the UN agreed and when the United States adopted the Biden Resolution. Before that, individual countries certainly had some sanctions, but it wasn't having the impact that a universal sanction would have. On the uh, matter of Georgia, obviously there's a concern, I think many countries in that federation, uh, would express uh, concerns. But I, I think uh, you know one of the things that I, I've been worried about is that immediately you had the start of this conflict. You suddenly had a closure of media. So you're getting one perspective. You don't have a range of views as to what's actually the thought and what is going on. It's like the embedded journalism we saw during the Iraq-US conflict. You know, when you're embedded, how much truth are we getting? How much of the real news are we seeing? So one of the aspects that does concern me about this current conflict is the absence of a diversity of news reporting. And I think for us as South Africans, that should worry us, because we are extremely diverse. Uh, in terms of freedom of expression. Um, On BRICS, we've benefited. We have the New Development Bank and uh, from the resources we've put together as the BRICS countries, under the terrible uh, impact of COVID, we were able to be assisted through the BRICS Development Bank and assisted in a different way from your World Bank or IMF loans that we might get. We've also, for some of our energy initiatives, have had support through the BRICS Bank for renewable energy infrastructure. In fact, the bulk of the support we've got from the New Development Bank has been for new energy initiatives in the green energy area. So there has been a benefit, and we define what the bank should focus upon as the bank's owners. We're not told by somebody else. So there's certainly, I feel, there has been a a benefit. And trade with with China, we've got much larger trade opportunities with China than we've had over many, many years. During the COVID-21, 22, we did see somewhat of a slippage, but 23, the numbers are picking up, and it's in our favor as South Africa, because massive citrus massive pork, we're doing a lot of trade on beef for the first time. So the numbers are beginning to look uh, positive. I think we should do more. Part of, of course, the difficulty is our exports tend to be raw material and our imports tend to be value added, which are far more costly, especially in the refined metals space. So we have to address that, the matter of value addition is critical not just for south africa but for the african continent because when we talk about the african continental free trade area what goods do we intend to produce on the continent and how will we ensure that we have beneficiation one of my colleagues overseas was just telling me uh, at the coronation how how they have dismay at Wagner's presence in Africa. So I said uh, to the colleague, uh, Minister, please add some to your comment. Because Wagner is not in all African countries, as far as I know, they're not in South Africa anyway. So use some. And he said, oh yes, no, 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 you're right. They're not in all of Africa, but they are really destructive. They're just extracting Africa's minerals we wish to form a new relationship with Africa. And I said, oh, Wagner's not the first, by the way. Mm -hmm. Remember, there've been many others. So our experience of extraction and disadvantage doesn't happen just now, in this century. It's a long-lived experience. But if you say you're gonna change and we're gonna beneficiate in Africa, and you're gonna build smelters and refineries on the continent, Minister, I'll work with you hand in hand. I don't know if you will, but it's easy to say some of these things. We are addressing the matter of trade, and I I just want to clear up this uh, envoys thing. These envoys who went to the United States went there to address two matters. It's not the ICC, the United States is not a member of ICC. They went there to address one. The American House of Representatives has drafted a bill called Bill on Malign Activities of Russia in Africa. And in it, it proposes action against African countries that permit Russia to have relationships that are defined as malign. We think that bill is very discriminatory and prejudicial to the continent, so we want to have a discussion about that. The second is just a few months ago, two House of Representatives senior members drafted a resolution which says President Biden must investigate and review the relationship of the United States of America with South Africa we felt those two were significantly important for us to address with representatives in the United States. So that is the agenda that the envoys are going to be pursuing in their deliberations. The whole host of stakeholders and actors in the political and business sphere in the United States of America, not the ICC. I just thought we should, I should uh, clear that up. Well, Matthew, uh, you mentioned democracies don't go to war with each other, and the professor says you as intellectuals have these debates, so I shall Mm -hmm. leave those debates to you. I thought democracies, some have done, uh, but they may not be considered democracies, I don't know, (laughs) in your your debates. It's an interesting one. Um, I think the relationship... Uh, between ourselves and the other BRICS countries is defined by our assessment of how we would work together to promote what we consider a progressive global agenda. And we think with those four countries, we have a strong possibility of working together in an agenda that seeks to challenge the dominance in global value and principle that's been promoted over the many decades. So, and we work quite well, I think, in seeking to put a new voice into the global geopolitical uh, stage. So I do think that uh, we can do good work uh, together and I don't think uh, that it is correct to assume that the other 180 something countries that are not part of BRICS have a set of values and principles that make up what is the best in the world. We we don't necessarily believe so. And we do find the BRICS family works well with us. On youth in BRICS, we have committed to a meaningful youth BRICS forum. And uh, it is going to be launched here in South Africa. There's a wonderful concept paper that's been drafted involving young people uh, in the country. So it's something we'd like to take seriously. And I do assure you that any stakeholder group is taken seriously and in BRICS, and they report and we take up the proposals uh, that are made. Um, yeah, diplomacy of leadership. Difficult one. Crisis of leadership in South Africa. I think we have crisis of values. I think we've got crisis of corruption. I think we've got crisis of transition. I think anyone who imagines that you wouldn't have the problems that we're having in South Africa post our own history, we're really underplaying the social engineering and historical experience that we had in our country under apartheid. I'm not, I'm I'm troubled by what I see, but I'm not unfazed, because I think we're a nation that can make it with the right attitude and resolve. But to pretend it's the end all and be all of our country, I think that's wrong. We've got a brilliant constitution that sets in place the framework for who we are. We need to make it real for everybody. But I I really think we should have greater belief in ourselves as, as South Africans. What we are trying to do compared to many parts of the world has not been tried before. Again, my conversations with ministers. Unfortunately, you know, we have very interesting conversations as foreign ministers. So the other day, at a lunch, they begin a conversation about sexual orientation and laws related to this in their particular country. And I say, you know, I can't understand why people can't let live. Why must we try and tell people how they should be? What, what is that? I said, in our constitution, we don't do that. We accept everyone. And it's wonderful to accept diversity. The table went silent. Hmm. And I could see them all looking at each other, and it was like, why did we allow this woman to come here? (laughs) (laughs) And I, I was genuine in my comments because we really have, I think, developed a set of practices which are principles that we practice that render us different. And part of what we must promote is the ability to be able to articulate some of these principles in the public domain. I asked uh, my colleagues in the ANC, why did we leave EFF to be the one talking about Uganda? Because they were probably waiting for me to speak, but it's parties must speak. You know, civil society must must speak when it wishes to. Don't leave it all to the politicians. So I think we should appreciate what we have as South Africa and use it to influence the rest uh, of the world um on, on the matter of uh, geoeconomics, we do discuss economics uh, quite a great deal um, in uh, BRICS but I think we discuss geoeconomics much more in the G20 because of the makeup of G20 uh, in BRICS, a lot of what we discuss is uh, what form let's say of law around international uh, rather information communication technologies would be the fairest framework to have. Could we shape something and can we share it with colleagues in international fora so that in terms of cyber security we want to see the following? So we have some of those uh, discussions. So not just economics. I think we really are quite developmental in a lot of the deliberations uh, that we have. Moving away from the dollar is becoming increasingly a discussion. Um, and it's less against the dollar and more about empowering other currencies. I've not seen it as a negative discussion, you know, anti dollar. It's about is it possible to develop a system in which other currencies may be used for international trade? Would it be possible for us to trade in our own currencies? As India is doing with the rupee and purchasing oil, for example, how doable is that? Among ourselves as BRIC countries, but also taking it broader, what would we need uh, to do? And I've noted uh, the comments uh, of uh, Dilma Rousseff uh, just a few days ago, who's the new president of the New Development Bank, uh, about needing to engage with a range of currencies and not just one. So we'll see where that goes, but for South Africa, we'll always have regard to our national interest and our economy, but we will not shy away from the discussion. Um, Professor Cullen said what I've been trying to say, he said it better than I do, which is really, I'm really against accepting that we should live by a double standard. We must be as concerned about Palestinians as we are about Ukrainians. There's no human being who's more than another. And this battering we get, that we only look one way and not another way, I think it's wrong. Um, so international law must be applied, but applied to everybody. And this is often our concern, is you know, can, can you build a world that cares for all and not just for some? Can you build a world in which all matter and not some? We are very active in the non-proliferation treaty committee in the UN. And when we have meetings there, it's the smallest meeting of committees and those who hold the worst weapons don't come. But they should be the most concerned because they are proliferating and they're a danger to all of us. So we really do believe that the rule of law must be regarded as rule for all and not rule for some. Um, I'm not sure that all BRICS members hold the same ideals on everything, we don't. Uh, But uh, when we've reached an agreement with a BRICS colleague in a meeting, I trust and know that they will execute what we agreed. That's the nature of, of, of the relationship. But I know we don't share on all issues the same perspective. I see Peter Fabricius is writing furiously there. I wonder what he's going (laughs) to write. I couldn't quite understand, Mr. Kola, the comment about climate change because I think what we've said in all fora, both as Africa and ourselves individually as South Africa country, we accept our responsibility to act. But we do say that we all have responsibility, but it has to be accepted that it must be differentiated. Because a developing country cannot execute the same level of intervention that a very rich, developed country that was emitting fumes for 300 years and getting very rich on that, we are unable to react or intervene in a similar fashion. So we've said, those with resources, who got those resources through emitting, they need to support those of us who don't have the means. We are ready to be responsible, but we need the means. But having said that, it can't be that we're a developing country and so we can just continue to emit. We've got to take action. Hence our renewable energy program and there are massive opportunities in green technologies which we haven't dreamt of as yet. You could take your bus business into building green buses in South Africa and use waste to generate biofuel for your new green buses. You'd become a billionaire in a very short time. So there are huge opportunities in green businesses, which South Africans are not taking up. We need green entrepreneurs. Then we can show the world that, yes, we accept our responsibility. It is differentiated from those who are rich. We need support to act and implement the necessary responses, but let's also create new new things. Um. Okay, I think I've tried to, to respond to most of the questions. Klaus, uh, could see I admire all people with PhDs who actually studied for them. So I'm really, I really, I liked, uh, uh, liked what you said. Um, and I, I, I think I, I want to conclude by assuring you that if we are given an opportunity to play a role, in ending, helping to end this war through negotiations. As South Africa will stand ready to help and to play a role, as we hope to with respect to Sudan and others who are facing terrible crises. And I conclude by saying, as we worry about Ukraine and Russia, let's also have symposia on Mali and Chad and Burkina Faso and Benin. Let's also have symposia about the prevalence of small arms on our continent, which are giving terrorists horrible ammunition against ordinary civilians. Let's not forget our responsibility to our continent as we discuss all these matters, because we have allowed Africa to be displaced from international view by the current situation, and it's worrying. The geopolitics can't mean we neglect our own continent. Thank you very much. And, uh